Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Logicast. I'm Carl Robinson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined today by my colleague John. How are you doing today, John? I'm all right. I'm a bit warmer than last week, but a bit wetter. Yes, the uh, snow has subsided, the winter wonderland has disappeared, and we're back to the winter floods, um, uh, as we were before. I drove up to the airport this morning, and there was uh, some quite scary aquaplaning on the uh, on the motorway on the way up there, uh, which in a, a car as big as mine, if you do lose control, then uh, it's going to be... <laughs> Quite big to wrestle that back, but uh, anyway, yes, we're back to the uh, back to the rain. I'm dreaming of a wet Christmas now, um, but uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you for joining Logicast. This is not the weather forecast. You'd be forgiven uh, to, for, for, for mistaking it for the weather forecast. Uh, but uh, Logicast is a weekly AWS news podcast. Uh, once a week, uh, I curate um, uh, a list of AWS news, which I share in a weekly email newsletter. Uh, and then John and I uh, pick a number of the news articles that we've shared in the news roundup, and we take a bit of a deeper dive. We talk about them, uh, we give a bit of opinion, and uh, usually try and crack a few jokes. And uh, I don't know whether anyone ever laughs, but uh, you know we think they're funny. So uh, anyway, the first uh, of this week's articles um, is uh, from the AWS DevOps blog, and it is about uh, configuration-driven dynamic multi-account CI/CD solutions on AWS. Um, so it's very much an instruction article. It's not really about any sort of new features or functionality. It's more just teaching you uh, with the use of examples um, what you can do with some of the tech that's already there. And, uh, John, I know you're big into DevOps and CICD, so uh, tell us what excites you about this particular article. Um, huh. Excites? Probably the wrong word. Um, yeah, I thought we'd start with this one because it's a bit of a break from the relentless. Here's a new thing coming out of this time of year's reinvent and announcements and things. So it's a bit of a break from that. In terms of what this is talking about, as you say, it's configuration driven, which is quite cool because um, most of these kind of cross account, multi environment, whatever, CICD solutions that you end up seeing, building, using, whatever, are kind of very custom baked so it's dev looks like this staging looks like that and production looks like the other and there's no kind of central configuration store of this it's just kind of it's in your pipeline files and that's kind of it so there's no really obvious way of doing it and if you onboard a new environment prod 2 it's not you know it's something i've had to do before in environments where you're kind of doing this weird halfway house you end up with second prod um, there's kind of no easy way of onboarding because you just sort of have to do it all again manually. So this is quite cool because it's using DynamoDB to configure accounts. So you can say dev looks like this and prod looks like that and so on. And you just put it in this uh, table in the central account and it goes off and makes pipelines for you, which is, again, brilliant. And more of the low code, no code that we like to do and like to see because writing less code is always better. So... Have you ever tried this sample pet store application? I've noticed it's been used in quite a few of these articles, the, uh, I the have. sample pet store application. I have used the pet store once or twice, yes. as a How the hell does this work? Oh, deploy the pet store. Okay, and then we can see how it works. So, yes, I have used the pet store. Not for this particular example, because my bag, as it were, to quote Austin Powers, is not doing it within AWS land. I know we're AWS partners and all that jazz, but... I've not used code deploy and code pipeline and stuff quite so much as I've used like Jenkins, uh, Bath of Salt for you, and GitLab and GitHub and a bit of Circle CI and stuff. Um, but yes, Pet Store, yes. <laughs> More than once. 
So uh, why do you uh, why do you use those solutions rather than uh, the AWS native tools? What's the... Because up until recently, the native tools were awful. Hmm. <laughs> Basically, it's up until not that long ago, the native tools were horrible. They just kind of were really, and it's sort of what you expect, right, from a, a Gen 1, Gen 2 service. They were really bare bones, really simple, really basic. They did what they said, but there was no nice QOL, quality of life features. You couldn't... Um, write your pipelines back to code which was a big thing because um listeners or future listeners that have say done jenkins pipelines in the past will know that sitting there and doing all the jobs and clicking around in the gui is okay for a bit and then all of a sudden you're managing 400 servers and it's just oh crying out loud and then you have to work out how to do it in pipelines um and then write those pipelines back to code because it's just not viable to keep doing it through click ops as it were um, they've gotten a lot better. They have. They've gotten a lot better because now I think you can define code pipeline through the CDK, which is quite nice. So it's gotten better. I, I might use this. It depends on um, you know customers and what they want. Mm-hmm. But you haven't got a specific use case right now. Um, I've got one that I can think of again for this serverless project that we keep talking about, but subject to you know design conversations. Yeah, cool. Okay, anything else to say about that one, or should we skip along to the uh, the next article? Um, nothing massive. Nothing massive. It's like I say, this is quite cool because it's configuration driven. So you can you kind of deploy it once, and then you deploy like a child stack into each account, and then you just update the t- the config table, and it does the rest for you, which is really cool. Yeah, cool. Okay, let's move along to the next article, which is from our friends over at InfoQ. Um, this one uh, is about a recent announcement that was made at um, reInvent. Um, so, of course, AWS announced this new um, supply chain tool. Um, so uh, the, the headline of this article is Improved Supply Chain Visibility and Actionable Insights with AWS Supply Chain. Um, so obviously the world's experienced a huge amount of supply chain problems um, recently. Um, I almost couldn't buy any uh, screen wash in Halfords yesterday. It was nearly all gone. Um, so uh, I guess there's uh, some sort of supply chain issue going on there, but uh, uh, you know, sort of above and beyond my screen wash uh, uh, <laughs> issues. Uh, obviously, we had the uh, all the ships queuing outside ports. Um, was that last year that happened? Um, oh, what with the Suez Canal blockage? Yeah, yeah, I think that was the start of it. But then I think uh, you know, I, I think that highlighted further problems, and uh, you know, there was a big knock-on effect from that with ships kind of queuing up outside all the major harbours around the world, and uh, you know, having a knock-on effect into all of the uh, you know our day-to-day goods that we're we're so used to being able to purchase um, as and when we want. So, so how how are AWS going to help us with all of this? By stealing all of your data. No, obviously Ooh. not. I know. They're not actually going to do that, to be completely clear and honest and transparent. We genuinely don't think they're going to do that because if they, you know, started doing that, then they'd lose customers from all over the joint. Um, but good luck telling that to a retail CEO mm. because they just won't believe that they won't. Um, so, supply chain. I'm not a supply chain analyst. I know one, but I'm not one. Um really boring topic generally speaking but then you know anything that isn't what you do is boring what aws are doing is the old let's throw some ml at this and see what sticks i think 
Yeah, that's, okay. That's, that's all I've got. That's all I've got. That's all you've got. <laughs> uh, um, so what, what even is AO? You're more of a supply chain person than I am. I'm just an engineer. Not really. I'm just a consumer. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. But uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, they're, they're really aiming to... It, it's kind of... It's kind of a vertical use case data lake, I guess, um, is is how I would describe it, um, because uh, you know it's throwing all of that supply chain data into one place, um, so that uh, as you say, you can use some uh, machine learning analytics to derive some actionable insights um, and display that in a useful format. So uh, it's all very well having those insights, but if they're not kind of readable by supply chain analysts, then uh, it's not necessarily going to achieve the desired effect. So, um, you know, I can certainly see the, uh, the the use for it. In fact, we have a customer who's into supply chain management, and it is a pretty complicated area. Um, I think that the challenge comes... Um, when you're taking data from disparate systems um, and trying to get the insights um, because, uh, you know, not uh, every link in the supply chain is going to be using the same system. Uh, some might be on SAP, some might be on a, another supply chain system and the data is coming out in uh, in different formats and, in, you know, different frequencies, etc. So to try and drive uh, any sort of useful actual insights from that uh, must be a bit of a nightmare. As I say, we mm. know that we have one client in particular who, who specializes in that area, um, you know, whether AWS are now coming in to eat some of their dog food or whether they're addressing a different part of the market will, will remain to be seen. But, um, you know, obviously uh, AWS being a part of Amazon, Amazon has an enormous supply chain i mean aws itself will have an enormous supply chain uh you know running um hundreds of data centers around the world and all of the kind of uh, you know all of the equipment that's required for that and then of course amazon itself the e-commerce giant the supply chain is absolutely huge so um you know they will have some fantastic learnings that they've built up over the years uh, managing those supply chains um, and i guess uh, you know having uh, all of that knowledge uh, issues that they've solved Plus, of course, the great data capabilities that AWS brings puts them in a pretty strong position, I would say, to be, uh, you know, to be a, a, a good player in this market. But um, yeah, it'll, be, it'll remain to be seen. Um, but uh, you know, I guess this is AWS moving much more into the sort of uh, business application space rather than the the infrastructure space. It's not the application itself, but it's you know, it, it's starting to stray into that area. I would say. I think what this is doing as a as a meta commentary is it's focusing on sort of the next third if you like of aws's customers because the first third for lack of a better kind of differentiation is um it's it startups it's people with the lean mean hungry and want to build on aws they've got the engineering staff but they don't have lots of money so they just kind of go into the cloud and go hard then kind of the next third is your established businesses and that's moving more of what they're doing into an AWS offering. So as you say, it's, it's, it's that started with data center exits and now it's moving into, again, taking away undifferentiated heavy lifting for these customers. Yeah, and uh, are you going to go on to the third third? You're going to do two thirds, so. <laughs> <laughs> the third third, we don't know what that third looks like yet. Oh, okay. The I unknown think. third. The unknown yeah. third. No, I was going to say, do we frontier. want to talk about price? <laughs> I was going to say, do we want to talk about pricing? Because this isn't of cheap. this. Mm. No, it's price per gig of, uh, of of data stored, isn't it? I think so. Uh, there's storage pricing. Uh, I don't think there's ingest pricing, which is nice. 
there's SKU pricing, which for those unfamiliar, SKU, SKU is a stock keeping unit. Um, anyone that's worked in a retail job will actually know that, which is probably half the world. And then there's um, more SKU based pricing, depending on whether you're doing insights or demand planning. There is a free trial, so you get a thousand SKU combinations for insights and demand and 10 gig storage for free um, for the first 60 days. So it's not like free forever, but you can kind of play around with it for nothing. But it can get quite expensive quite quickly. Like their examples, they do, to, be, to their credit, use realistic examples in pretty much all their pricing examples. But their first example has a 10 grand a month bill. So this is not cheap and this is not for your little mom and pop distribution company if you like this is not for your uber driver that's moonlighting delivering amazon packages this is for big corporates so this is aimed at yeah who will be spending millions a year on sap licenses no doubt mm. or oracle licenses or we shouldn't mention uh the o word on an, on an aws focused <laughs> podcast should we but uh, there we go mm -hmm. um but uh, yeah you're absolutely right this is uh this is big boy stuff um and uh, has the you know price tag um to go with that so um yeah this is definitely aimed squarely into the enterprise space so um but yeah interested to see how amazon can help with that um i would imagine that uh, many of their customers are already hosting all of these supply chain management systems on aws um so it's quite a, a logical extension if the data is already there um to help aws do some uh, analysis on that yeah, again, it's taking the undifferentiated heavy lifting away. Just give us all of your data, please, because we'll deal yeah. with it. But here's a bill. Well done on finding the mute button there, John, as well. <laughs> I wasn't even talking about audio quality. <laughs> but bizarrely, uh, since you had your uh, muted sneeze, um, the uh, all the background noise has gone from my headphones. Um, so when you've the rain has it, eased up. A has bit. the rain stopped? That's <laughs> what it is. The rain has stopped as well. You sneeze so hard, you've blown the clouds away. Uh, <laughs> Does that make me an okay. X man? <laughs> Something on me. I mean, you are wearing a, a super cloud T-shirt, so perhaps uh, you're experiencing the super cloud powers um, with your cloud dispersing sneezes. It's funny uh, you say that. I have some proper superstitions about these shirts. I only ever, every exam that I've taken for AWS, I've worn something of this nature and I've passed first time on all of them. Uh, got so it, got proper superstitious. And you are not the only one. Um, you have met her, Zarina, <laughs> Zarina Barnsby. We met at the um, oh, yeah. Brighton Cloud meetup. She did once win. Uh, the exact same T-shirt that you're wearing, and she wore it to take her Solutions Architect Associate exam, and she passed. Um, so I think there is something in that superstition, John. <laughs> um, so if there's uh, any listeners uh, who are about to take any AWS certifications and would like uh, to win a SuperCloud T-shirt as a lucky charm, um, then all you've got to do is enter my free prize draw every Friday <laughs> on uh, on the website. So check my LinkedIn profile. You'll see my videos every Friday with a link to the free prize draw, and uh, we could help you get your next AWS certification. Anyway, moving swiftly on from those superstitions. <laughs> from plugging the marketing. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, moving swiftly on um, to another um, AWS blog post. This one uh, is about the uh, well-architected framework um, and how to use the well-architected framework with AWS Trusted Advisor to achieve data-driven cost optimization. So um, cost optimization, always a hot topic, and particularly right now in these uh, 
difficult times uh, where people uh, potentially are looking for ways to uh, to, to cut costs and uh, increase their profit margins. Um, this is always a, a, a welcome discussion. In fact, we're having a number of conversations right now uh, with customers and prospective customers about how they can optimize uh, their AWS costs. And of course, there's lots of different approaches to do that. This is one of them. So uh, it's talking about following the well-architected framework, but also using some of the tools that AWS provide um, to help um, uh, in the, um, you know, driving those optimizations. So um, what, what uh, what's your thoughts on this one, John? I, I'm, I'm thinking given that you're certified professional for Solution Architect, you should tell us what the uh, well-architected framework is. Yeah, well, it's, it's that thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Can you name all? What is it? Six pillars. <laughs> uh, there are six pillars. Um, there is. A, there's a new. The newest one is the sustainability pillar. In fact, I think there might yes. be more than six pillars now because because uh, of sustainability. A, no, yeah. I think there's another one as well. I think there's another one in addition to sustainability. But uh, yeah, don't quote me on that. I might have to go and Google that while you do some talking. Um, but um, <clears throat> yeah, the well-architected framework is just a. Uh, it's essentially a guide um, that uh, AWS solutions architect uh, professionals such as myself um, can guide customers through um, to make sure that their environments are well architected um, against uh, a number of a number of different what AWS call pillars or effectively lenses uh, that you can look at your architecture through so uh, sustainability as we mentioned we think is the newest one uh, but also there's cost optimization there's reliability there's security and I, off the top of my head I can't remember all six or seven architecture there excellence. are uh yeah okay so i think we've got five that that's that's not bad uh what's the pass mark in the exam 75 percent, 750 out of a thousand so we probably need one more um but uh, i can tell you that i did not get asked any questions about the well architecture framework in my solutions architect professional exam um anyway so um yeah so uh this, this is really talking about um you know, the, the well-architected framework really just guides you through a series of questions with customers. So it's a structured consulting process, essentially. Uh, but, you know, some of those questions are going to need data in order to be able to effectively respond to them. And that's really what this article is talking about. Um, you know, if, if you go and ask a customer, and this the specific example used in this article, because, yes, I did actually read it, uh, was about RAM allocation for uh, Lambda functions. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if you ask a customer, are you optimizing the uh, the RAM allocation for your Lambda functions? If they don't have any data about that, they're not going to be able to answer, answer those questions. Um, so what it's talking about is ways that you can uh, get that data. So what are some of the ways that we could get that data, John? So this is always a fun one because I've done this quite a bit. As as we know, I'm, I'm not officially a serverless hero. Maybe I should sign up, see, see if I can get that. Another good thing for the firm to have. Um, I'm kind of the serverless guy around here. I've done the most with it. I'm, yeah, not going to toot my own horn too much. Um, there's a number of ways you can do this. So what they're talking about here is using Trusted Advisor, which is an AWS tool that evaluates stuff, your account, against the well-architected framework um, and just kind of gives you recommendations. It does it for basically all of your account, but in this instance, it's talking about using it for Lambdas, right? Because if you... You may or may not know, I mean, you do, but listeners may or may not know that it's not just memory that you're allocating um, with Lambda memory allocation. It's also percentage of virtual CPU because it's just kind of one dial for both of them. The more RAM you have, the more CPU you have, the faster everything kind of runs. Yeah, it's one dial rather than being kind of too specific. 
So what the particular example is saying is, you know, you, you optimize your, your Lambda and you put it on this particular memory allocation and you reduce cost by by an amount. So that's one way of doing it. And it will just kind of give you a recommended size, which is great. It's brilliant. But it needs data. As you say, it needs data. It needs to sit there and it needs to run. It needs to observe your count. So you need to have configured it somehow for it to do that. And then it will kind of run off and do it. Another tool that I quite like to use is called the Lambda Lambda, yeah, Lambda Power Tuner, which is just great. Uh, I will dig out a, a link and put it in the show notes. Um, but what it is, is it's a step function that you kind of, you deploy your Lambda using your configuration, and then you configure this step function. And what it does is it runs your Lambda with various configurations, and then it spits out um, a URL to a nice pretty graph, which shows you kind of executions, memory, time, cost, and all that sort of thing. And then looking at that graph, there's usually a very quick and easy way of going, oh, it's that number there. So you can kind of skip all of this process and just get it from 100 out executions in about five minutes. That's great. And that works. And that's lovely, except where you're talking out to uh, like external APIs and stuff and you get limited and then you kind of have to fall back on this sort of thing. But generally this is good, this is quite useful um, and something that is not an original John thought but is very true, I think again Corey Quinn said this, you're in the cloud, your architecture is your cost strategy, they are the same thing. You could be more resilient and pay more, you can be less resilient and pay less, usually the the correct answer is kind of somewhere in the middle unless you are absolutely 100% we will be best practice um, which most people aren't in my experience um, so yeah your your cost strategy and your architectural strategy are the same thing just people don't seem to realize that yet and this is kind of helping in that regard which is always good albeit a little bit under the covers so I did look up the well-architected framework. It is six pillars. I was confusing in my mind. There were two new leadership principles when we were looking oh. at those the other week, uh, and it was one new pillar in the well-architected framework, which is sustainability. Uh, the other five, of course, being operational excellence, security, reliability, performance, and cost optimization. So I think we've got most of those. Um, so I think I, I think we've got enough of them uh, to achieve a pass. Um, in, uh, in this, <laughs> It's not going to come up today. in mine because I'm going to do the DevOps Pro instead, and it's not going to be in that. <laughs> I don't think it was in the. I don't think it was in the <laughs> solutions architect professional either. But Which is terrible because you need to pass that exam yeah. to do a well architected review against the framework. Yeah, I assume there's some further training on that uh, that uh, that need to be taken. But uh, yeah, that's uh, certainly uh, one of the boxes you've got to tick um, to be able to conduct a um, a well architected review. Maybe we could start offering it as a service. We need, we need two. Ah, oh, do you? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do that exam. <laughs> so, um, yeah, move, moving on then uh, to the next article, we've got one, an, another um, AWS blog post, uh, an article about troubleshooting network connectivity to Amazon RDS databases using VPC reachability analyzer. Um, so um, I've never heard of this VPC reachability analyzer. Um, have you used it, John? No, but I know what it is. So... I'm familiar. Um, I picked this less to talk about the RDS point because it's kind of like whatever, it's a target, and more to talk about the repeat the, huh, VPC reachability analyzer. Try saying that That's one, easy for you to say. Easy for you to say. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I've had this before as well. You you configure a new account, you configure a new environment, you configure a new VPC, you put your servers in, in your public and your private networks and all that jazz, and then you can't hit a box. Ugh, what's gone on? So then you start going through your security groups, and that's kind of all looks okay and then you look at your knuckles and they kind of all look okay and then you look at your routing and your flow logs and it just kind of you just go down a rabbit hole with this stuff because networking is hard networking in the cloud is harder because there's no cables to go and find it's all just kind of on your screen uh it's hard to the extent that there's a specialty exam in networking it's, it's that hard which i may or this may is not do at some point it is the sort of thing that would come up in a uh essay pro exam or or in an essay associate exam actually that uh you can't connect mm. what could the Absolutely. problem be um, what could the problem be or, or what tools would you yeah. use to diagnose the problem well i'd never seen reachability analyzer as a potential answer um hence me not it's knowing it's quite use, new but, uh, it's newish yeah, okay. it's only a few months old so it's probably Maybe not filtered in the, into the pack of questions yet yeah it might be in the next version of the exam well maybe but they do refresh the questions every so often but because they they pick your 60 questions or 65 questions from a pool of a couple of thousand so it takes a while for questions to kind of get updated Uh, but yeah vpc reachability analyzer it kind of takes all of that manual process of tracing through and doing trace routes and and pinging things and turning on wire shark and all that that you'd have to do in the old world and does it kind of all for you for the low low price sounds like a sales guy now of 10 cents a run so it's not free. It does cost okay. you money, but you know, a buck for ten runs, just run it. Like whatever, unless it's in a customer account, and then you kind of have to ask permission to charge the money. But if it's your own account, just run it. Seriously, just run it. It's fine. It, it will cost you longer. It costs the business more in your salary than it will cost in you just running it, unless you're exceptionally underpaid. Um, but yeah, what it's doing is is you give it a start and an end and say, make route, please. And you sort of say, it's going to go through here and go through there. And then it will kind of go, ah, I get stuck here on your network interface. I get stuck there on your knackle settings, on your whatever. And it just kind of takes all of that away and makes that all really lovely and easy. And, you know, everyone gets to go to the pub early. Nice. We always like uh, anything that can get us to the pub earlier. <laughs> <clears throat> To loop back to the RDS specific part of this, it, they're just using RDS as an example. Um, they are also saying, of course, that with the VPC reachability analyzer, I think you do need to supply it with an IP address. So they're showing you kind of how to do that from the command line. You use NS lookup, basically. Yeah, so obviously it's not it's not only for RDS, it's for no. anything that uh, anything that you put in any VPC. VPC networks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, we d- we like to see new tools that can make our lives easier. Um, so. Uh, I think the rain has started again, John. I can, I can hear it in the background there. <laughs> um, Wooden roof. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, let's move on to our final article from this week then, our friends at the Register again. Um, this one, um, always a hot topic, um, leaky S3 buckets. Let's hope you're not going to have a leaky shed roof today, but uh, <laughs> leaky, leaky S3 buckets. Uh, uh, if you do have a leaky shed roof, let's hope you're not going to catch the leak with a leaky bucket as well. But... Uh, <laughs> Oh, the shed's only like 18 months old. I should hope it doesn't leak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you built it yourself, didn't you? Oh, I, I paid some people to build the structure and then I kind of did all the internals okay. and the wiring and the electrics and, uh, you know. Let's hope you're going to stay dry then. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so th- this uh, article is about uh, 
effectively uh, a, a new way that AWS have introduced to uh, to prevent you from uh, creating leaky buckets because uh, it's always been very popular. I've shared myself on many an occasion uh, the latest data breach article, um, which is down to someone making an S3 bucket public that shouldn't have been. Um, and uh, AWS have always gone to great lengths to um, stress that S3 buckets are not public by default. So the only way they can become public is if you or a member of your team makes them public. Um, but it's actually been quite easy to do that uh, <clears throat> and overlook it, um, which is why there have been so many data breaches. So um, lots of changes have been made over the years to try and make it just that little bit harder for you to make that configuration error. Uh, but what can you tell us about the, the latest one, John? So, yeah, sorry, hang on. <coughs> bad timing um so yes we've said this a couple of times every time kind of leaky buckets come up right aws have a bad rap for s3 being insecure it's not by default it's not um but it was very easy to misconfigure so they've done a number of things over the years uh back in 2018 they added some security controls so that it would be private by default uh, and then 2021, they've added a few new features to it and bucket policies and I am and all that jazz. And now what they're doing is they are adding what they're calling a public access block, which is kind of, I think it's part of the bucket policy or a, a new security setting that disables, that prevents you from enabling public access. So as it stands at the minute, you have to go in and say, yes, this can all be public. And then you make the objects public. With this in place, you'll have to enable those controls first. So you de delete the thing that's saying that you can't even try to make it public. And then you can make it public. And then you can make it object public. So it's just kind of another layer. It's another way of stopping you from mucking it up. Because it is so easy to do, but now it's significantly less easy to do. Well, that's great. So um, let's hope that uh, we're not going to be seeing as many of those headlines. And I think our friends at the register have been guilty in sharing many of them. In fact, there's a number of links in the article um, to uh, data breach stories that they have uh, published on the register. Um, so let's hope this new feature is going to see fewer and fewer of those going forwards. Um, you know, anything we yeah, can whilst do to we help might like to. Whilst we might like to laugh at them, because it's always good to have a giggle, especially when it's like these big government corporations and all that sort of thing that really should know better. We don't like seeing leaky buckets. It's not something we like to see because it's people's personal data being exposed at the end of the day. Absolutely. Uh, the main reason we like to point it out is uh, just so, to make our customers aware that it is such an easy thing to do. And therefore, it's something that uh, that they should be uh, very conscious of and uh, you know, certain that they're not making that same mistake themselves because nobody wants to be that next uh, that next data breach headline. Um, <coughs> excuse me, bad timing from my perspective there mm. this time. Um, so that brings us neatly to the end of our time today. Thanks a lot for your input there, John. Um, and that wraps up episode 11 of Logicast. And that also wraps up Logicast for 2022. So uh, we're heading into the holiday period um, at the end of this week. So we will be back in 2023 um, with episode, uh, well, we don't know what we're going to call it yet. It might be season two. I uh, think series two. Watch this space. Seriously, be... season two? Yeah. Uh, so whether the episodes, whether it's episode 12 of season two or is it episode one of season two, that's something we're going to have to discuss and decide upon. Uh, but uh, we will be back one way or another with an episode, uh, which will have a number um, <laughs> at the beginning of 2023. So, uh, 
thank you very much for listening um and uh, we'll see you again next time uh, have a great holiday period if you're listening to this uh, before the holiday period